We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, El Mani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, El Mani. Luke chapter 14, as today we cover verses 15 through 35, and we're going to see, first of all, an illustration of salvation, and then we're going to see the conditions of salvation. We're going to see today, as we study the life of our Lord, as we study the lips of our Lord, what He says to us, basically, number one, an invitation to dinner, and number two, an invitation to die. And this is what it is for us for as, as Christians, you know. And I think, like, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it's definitely applicable, uh, especially to you. You know, do you know for sure that if you were to die today, you'd go to heaven? Do you know that for sure? If you don't have that assurance, uh, then today is the day of salvation. Today is a day in which God would love to make a transaction with you. God would love to write your name in the book of life because that's what it's all about. When you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, He will come in, He will forgive you of your sins, and He will write your name in the Lamb's book of life. And when you die, you'll go to heaven, you'll be with Him forever and ever. And the Bible says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. And so, if you're here today and you don't know the Lord, man, I pray that you would receive Christ today. But, you know, I think for most of us here, we do know the Lord. And so we look at a study today and we're wondering, Lord, is this applicable to me? And I think it is, because when you look at the terms of salvation and we look at these things that we're going to be speaking about today, it's also uh, important for us to remind ourselves what we did when we gave our life to Christ. You know, what we signed up for. We signed up for fellowship with Him. We signed up to make Him the priority of our life. We signed up, you know, to die to ourself. That's how it all began. And I think that when we understand those things, that it helps us in our sanctification. It helps us to remind ourselves that this is how it all began, you guys. This is what it's all about. Because look what we read here, beginning in verse 50, 15. It says, Now, when one of those who sat at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Now, I know we kind of picked it up in the middle of the chapter. We've been going through Luke 14. But if you remember, Jesus here is at a luncheon. He's at a, a banquet. He's at a dinner with one of the Pharisees. And so he's kind of looking around at this whole banquet setting. He's making observations. You know, he's telling them, you know, don't go and try to get the best seat. You know, let the Lord exalt you. You humble yourself. He talks about inviting not just those who can pay you back, but invite everybody, the poor, the, the lame, the blind, the maimed. You know, he's making observations there in the dinner. He healed the man with dropsy. And so as the Lord is making these observations, one guy, he just kind of says, this is cool what you're saying, Lord. And, and by the way, blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. You know, the guy, I guess he looks around, he sees the glory of the setting, and he just says, man, I, I can't wait for the day, you know, when we're there in heaven and we're going to be eating bread with the Lord. 
You know, I, I know that when you study the Bible, heaven is depicted as a dinner with God. I don't know if you guys knew this, but we're going to be eating there. We're going to have meals with our master. Did you guys know that? Can you imagine what the bread is going to be like in heaven? <laughs> I mean, you thought it was good now, but wait until then. Not only the food, of course, but the fellowship with God. You know, we know in Revelation 19, verse 9, the Bible says, Right, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. We know that when Jesus instituted communion in Mark 14, 23, he took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they drank from it. And he said to them, this is the blood of my new covenant, which is shed for many. Assuredly, I say to you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. I mean, heaven is going to be food. It's going to be fellowship. It's going to be dinner. There's going to be meals with the master. Supper with God will be real meals. But at the same time, we need to know this, that God's supper also encompasses the entirety of salvation. And this man right here undoubtedly is looking around. He's seeing all the Jewish people. He's thinking, man, we're all going to be there, huh? Isn't it going to be cool? And, and as we've seen the Lord, he loves us so much. He doesn't take it for granted. He doesn't say, well, just because you're all Jewish, you're going to go to heaven. He doesn't say just because you all go to church, you're, you're going to go to heaven. You know, I went to a funeral one time. I remember the priest said, you know what? We're all going to see him again there in heaven. But that's not true, huh? We know that. Not everyone's going to heaven. The road to heaven is narrow and the Bible says there are few who find it. And so when this guy just, you know, kind of blurts out this blanket statement, I can't wait until we're there in heaven and we're going to have fellowship and food with the Father, Jesus then begins to speak. And look what he says in verse 16. It says, Then he said to them, A certain man gave a great supper and invited many. And he sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, Come, for all things are now ready. But they all, with one accord, began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have brought a piece of ground, and I must go and see it. I ask that you have me be excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I am going to test them. I ask you to have me excused. Still another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. And so that servant came and reported these things to his master. And then the master of the house, being angry, he said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. And the servant said, Master, it is done as you commanded, and still there is room. And then the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. For I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my supper. This is an illustration of salvation. It's an invitation from God in one sense to, to dinner, right? And so this guy's all, I can't wait for the day, man. The garlic cheese bread in heaven's going to be amazing, you know. The grape juice there. I mean, everything is going to be so amazing. We're going to have pizza. You won't gain any weight. Stuff like that, right? It's going to be amazing. There are no words to describe how awesome it's going to be when we are in heaven. 
when we were having fellowship with our Father. You know, the other night we had some friends over for dinner, had a great, great time together. Can you imagine what heaven's going to be like? And you know, and the Lord agrees with this guy. Yeah, it's true, but man, you got to make sure that, that you're going to be there. And we have to make sure that we're going to be there. And we have to understand this is what it's all about. And we have to make sure that we don't make excuses when it comes to the things of God. You know, here we see the Lord uh, giving this, you know, parable. It's kind of interesting. In the ancient world, invitations to a feast were sent out well in advance of the meal. And so let's just say you're having an event this Saturday. You would send out the invitations, you know, a month in advance. But remember, they didn't have clocks like we do. They didn't have, you know, watches and iPhones and all that, right? And so what they would do is on the day of the event, they would send out servants when the dinner was ready. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's ready. And so, boom, they go and they said, hey, everybody, the dinner's ready. So these were people who had RSVP'd, okay? You guys ever have that problem? These are people who RSVP'd said, yes, I'll be there. But then when it came down to it, they were not willing to come. It was kind of, a, a, I guess you could say, a superficial commitment to the invitation. And so we see here in this group, as they go out, they replied in the affirmative, yes, we'll be there. But on the day of the meal, at the start of the meal, we might call it crunch time. We might call it munch time, whatever it is you say. When it all came down to it, they made light of the meal and they began to offer excuses. Sorry, we can't make it. Sorry, we cannot fellowship with you today, God. Sorry, I got things to do. You know, and we make excuses, you know, just to bring it into the Christian world. Can't fellowship with you, God, today. I got so many things to do. I got to serve you. <laughs> can't pray, can't read, can't really talk, we commune with you because there's things going on. And we begin to make excuses. And a lot of times we justify ourselves and we have to be so careful. Billy Sunday defined an excuse as the skin of a reason stuffed with a lie. <laughs> Warren Wiersbe said, the person who's good at excuses is usually not good at anything else. We can make excuses, man. Sometimes we are good and we know how to Christianize it, huh? Oh, man, I'm sorry. You know what? The Lord's not, not leading me, you know? And, uh, <laughs> and I don't know. There's real creative ways of, of making excuses, of taking the skin of a reason and stuffing it with a lie and even begin to believe those lies ourselves and these guys right here they had things going on sorry you know what i i can't do it it's my wealth that i'm worried about it's my work that i'm worried about it's my wife that i'm worried about sorry i can't do it i can't go to the dinner it's my possession it's my occupation it's my relation you know the first two had to do with money the second one had to do with the honey right and said sorry lord i can't do it man and they began to make excuses. And so when the servant told the master of the house what happened, the master, it says right here, he was angry. Look in verse 21. Then the master of the house, he, he was angry, right? And so what did he do then? Well, he extended the invitation to the rejects. We might solve the, call them the social exiles of Israel. These were the people who would never get invited to the banquets. These were the poor, the maimed, the blind, the lame. They would never get invited. They extended it there to the exiles of Israel. 
Apparently these, the humble, the lame, the blind, they normally didn't get invited. As a matter of fact, according to Leviticus 21, this is typically what would take place in those days, that they were not accepted, but now in the new covenant, they are accepted. You see, not only does the master invite the social exiles, he also begins to invite the Gentiles. Now we see that there in verse 23 when it says, The master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges. Now it's literally in the Greek language beyond the parameters of our country. You see, this is an illustration of exactly what's happened in this amazing salvation through Jesus Christ. Now you guys know that Jesus Christ came first to who? To the Jews, right? And uh, we read the book of Acts, Paul the Apostle, Peter, all these guys, who do they go first to? The Jews, right? But generally speaking, the Jews did not accept the Lord, huh? And so what ended up happening? In one sense, that kind of opened up the door to who? The Gentiles, right? Not only that, when the gospel of Jesus Christ came, it came to the Jews and you would figure like the ones that it would reach first and foremost would be the religious leaders, right? I mean, you know, the Pharisees, there were 6,000 guys set apart, supposedly holy, very orthodox, waiting for the coming of the Messiah. But they did not receive the Lord, huh? Generally speaking, they rejected him. And so ended up, who ended up getting saved? The outcasts, the sinners, the prostitutes, the tax collectors. The people like you and me, right? That's who got saved. Those who were humble enough to say, you know what? I can't make it to heaven on my own. I need Jesus in my life. And that's what ended up happening. It came over to the, the Mexicans, right? The Italians. How many of you are happy about that, man? <laughs> the Irish. I mean, the Germans. You name it, man. And that's exactly what the Lord is saying ended up happening right here. You know, the Lord in, in this illustration right here is just telling them again, and we've talked about this many times, be careful that you don't become legalistic. Be careful that you don't become self-righteous. Never come to that place in your life where you don't realize that we don't realize we desperately need the Lord. We desperately, I am poor. I am blind without him. I am lame without him. I am maimed without him. I need the Lord. I need to have dinner with my Lord. I need to have fellowship with my Lord. And my wealth won't get in the way. And my work won't get in the way. And my wife won't get in the way. There will be no possession. There will be no occupation. There will be no relation that comes before my Lord. You know, and all those things are important, man. If you have wealth, you better be good stewards of that wealth. And if you're a worker, you better be a good worker for Christ, right? And if you're married, man, take care of your wife. Do not neglect her, right? But they pale in comparison to your commitment to Jesus Christ. You know, I was thinking about this today. I was thinking, Lord, I know how important it is for me as a husband to take care of my wife. I know how important it is for me to pray with her, to read the Bible with her, to lead her, to love her. I know how important it is for us to have our date nights, you know, and, and companionship, you know. And, and yet you're telling me that I got to make sure I love you even more than that. And so the Lord is saying, you know, because a lot of the guys will say, see, see, honey, I can't, 
I can't hang out with you, man, because, you know, the Bible says I've got to love the Lord more, right? No, no. You better not neglect her. You're going to be in trouble. The Bible says your prayers will not be heard. Your prayers will be hindered. But as close as you are to your spouse, be even closer to the Lord. I was thinking, but Lord, my wife, Charlie, you know her. She's so real. She's right here. I can hug her. I can kiss her. I can be with her. It's so real. Our, our, our relationship. And God says, but I want my relationship to be even more real. You see, and that's where we have to be. This is the calling for us as Christians. The Lord here wants to be first in our life. The Lord here wants all of us. He wants his house full. That's what he wants. That's what it says right here. He even uses the word compel. Notice again there in verse 23. The master said to the servant, go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in. So that means you put a gun up to their head and you say, hey, you better be a Christian, right? I'm going to kill you. No, not really. It doesn't say that. The word right here is not speaking of force. It's speaking of doing everything you can urge anyone you find to come to the Lord. You see, the Master's second invitation extended beyond the city limits, encouraging even more people to come to the feast. And it pictures, of course, the inclusion of the Gentiles. And the instruction here to compel them to come doesn't mean to force people in, but to urge them. Why is this? Here's the thing. Because a lot of times the outsiders might not feel comfortable coming in. It's not like you're trying to argue them into the kingdom, because you can't do that. If you can argue someone into being a Christian, then someone else is going to argue them out, right? But you love them in. And you go out and you reach that person over there and that prostitute over there and she thinks there's no way that God could forgive me. Or that guy over there on the streets, he's got you know, just tattoos everywhere. And he thinks, you know what, I'm too far gone. And God, you go to him and you say, you know what, the Lord loves you. And you compel them and you convince them that they are not beyond reach and their problems are not beyond God's capacity to answer. But we have to have the heart of God. I mean, you see God's heart here. You see God's servant's heart here. And we need to respond to that invitation to dinner. You know, when you read in verse 24, it's such a sad Scripture, Jesus says, For I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my supper. You know, the first ones who thought, No, I'm too busy. Sorry, I can't go. More than likely, they were thinking, I'll go next time. Huh? More than likely, they're thinking that. Oh, you know what? It's just another banquet. It's just another dinner. I'll go next time. And the Lord says right here, There ain't going to be a next time. Those guys that were invited and rejected and they said they were too busy because of their wealth and their work and their wife, they're not going to make it into the kingdom of heaven. And forever and ever and ever, they will regret the decision that they made to delay their commitment to follow the Lord. And the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 55, verse 6, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. You know, and that goes for you as Christians as well. You know, I'm not saying that the Lord is ever going to give up on you, but man, when the Lord calls you into fellowship, when the Lord says, draw near to me so I can draw near to you, don't say, okay, I'll do it tomorrow. 
Man, might I encourage you today, right now, to let the Lord lead you to His love. You know, ultimately, when you study the doctrine of soteriology, which is the teaching of salvation, you find that everyone's invited. Everyone is invited. But what Jesus is saying is that it's sad to see the ones who should have been the first to respond, not only immediately but wholeheartedly, the Jewish leaders, the ones who knew the word of God and through the lineage came the Son of God, they ended up despising the invitation to salvation. And therefore, Jesus said, they would not so much as even taste the supper of God. The Bible says in Psalm 118, verse 22, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. And I heard that this was the parable that D.L. Moody preached on in his very last sermon in life. And he called it excuses. It was given November 23rd, 1899 in the Civic Auditorium in Kansas City. And Moody apparently at this time was old and he was sick. And he said this, I must have souls in Kansas City. And so he told his students back at the school in Chicago to pray. And he said, never, never have I ever wanted to lead men and women to Christ as I do now. And he said there was a throbbing in his chest. And he said that he had to do anything he can. And they went and they propped him up on the organ. And he could barely stand there, but he preached for the final time this message to the people of Kansas City. And people came forward to receive the Lord because the Lord had put that in his heart. Remember, it was D.L. Moody. If you guys, this is a crazy story. He made a commitment with God. He said, you know what? Not a day is going to go by Unless I, I, I've made a commitment to you, Lord, I'm going to share you with somebody every single day of my life. Cool commitment, huh? Wouldn't that be cool if we could do that? I don't want to put you in bondage, but pray about it, okay? Every day, tell somebody about Jesus, right? Some strangers, some people, family, friends. I don't know how you do it. Maybe you'll call. But anyways, one day, it was late at night, he was going to sleep, and it came into his mind, oh, I haven't told anybody about Jesus today. And so you know what he did? He got out of his pajamas. He changed into his clothes. He went out on the street. First guy he saw there, he said, Hey, do you know Jesus? The guys all know. He saw then, right here, right now, receive the Lord. And boom, right there he did. See, that's the type of heart that we see the Lord has. Question, do you have that heart? You know, and you say, Well, I'm not an evangelist. I'm not a D.L. Moody. But if you know Jesus Christ, and if you know the gospel... And if you love the lost, then nothing will stop you from sharing the Lord like this. You see, first of all, an illustration of salvation. It's an invitation from God for us to have dinner with Him. How many of you would jump at that invitation? I know I would. <laughs> good food, good fellowship, right? That's life as a Christian. I'm telling you, it is so good, right? But the second thing is not only an invitation to dinner, but there's also an invitation to die. Because look what we read next in verse 25. It says, Now great multitudes went with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and 
Count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it. Lest after he has laid the foundation, is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going to make war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. Or else while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. What we see here in the ministry of Christ is the congregation was growing. We read here of great multitudes going with Jesus. And so the Lord looks back and you know most guys and seeing a whole bunch of people they would be like, wow, this is so cool, right? But the Lord didn't see it that way. Right here, before they went any further, lest there be any confusion or any illusion, the Lord wanted to make sure that everybody understood the terms of discipleship, of what it really meant to follow the Lord. And so he turned to them and he preached a sermon that pretty much deliberately thinned out the ranks. He just wanted to make it clear that when it comes to personal discipleship, He's much more interested in quality than quantity. And that's very important for us to understand. You know, just in case you're wondering, the word disciple, it speaks of a pupil, a learner, a student. It's found 260 times in the Bible. And, you know, I I don't think it refers to a special type of Christian. Some people will say that. I would disagree. I think a disciple is just... A Christian. As a matter of fact, that's what they were first called when you read the Bible. It wasn't until later in the book of Acts chapter 11 in verse 26, it says, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. And so disciple to me is not a special Christian. It's just a Christian. And what the Lord is saying right here is really some heavy things. He's saying, first of all, here's an illustration of salvation. And secondly, let me give you the conditions of salvation. It kind of all goes with the paperwork. Have you guys ever, you know, done like a covenant with someone? You do a contract. Maybe you did a a refinance on your home or you bought a home or you bought a car. And you know you have to sign 137 papers, you know, when that happens, right? You know, there's a few papers that you signed, so to speak, when you were saved, You know, maybe you didn't understand everything, but it was all part of the transaction that took place. The first one was says, you know what? I admit that I'm a sinner. And you signed on the dotted line, I'm a sinner in need of a savior. The second page had something to do like this. And I repent of my sins. And that doesn't mean that you get your life right there and then. It doesn't mean you're never going to sin again. It means that you're willing to never sin again. It means you're willing to let go of the sex and drugs and the alcohol. It means that you're willing to let go of the pride and the anger and all the things you know that have really kept you in bondage all your life. You know, you signed on the dotted line, I admit I'm a sinner. Yes, Lord, I repent of my sins. And you sign the dotted line, the third page is something like this. I receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. 
Not just Savior. Not just the one who died for me. Yeah, he did all the work. Cool. I'm going to go live my life. No. The Lord of your life. The Bible says that if you confess Jesus Christ as Lord and believe in your heart that God's raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The Bible says that one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, these were the terms of discipleship. And I think a lot of times we forget. We're like, cool, I went forward. Cool, I raised my hand. Cool, I got a funny feeling. Cool, a few habits of mine went away. But now I'm going to go and live my own life. And the Lord says, hold on a second. Let me check you out right now. Examine your life to see whether you're in the faith. You're following the Lord. We're following the Lord. And the Lord says, I want to tell you something. If anyone wants to come after me, if you're serious about this, then you've got to love me more than father or mother, brother, sister, child, wife, husband. You must love me more than your own life. If anyone wants to come after me, that's the terms of discipleship. You know, it's interesting. He uses, first of all, three negatives. If you love anyone else more than me, you can't be my disciple. If you love yourself more than me, you can't be my disciple. I struggle with that. We struggle with that, right? If you refuse to take up your cross and come after me, he says, you can't be my disciple. You see, the essence of discipleship is giving Christ first place in our life. You know, right here he talks about hating. Uh, in verse 26, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, just his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And we know that that's just a term of comparison, right? It doesn't mean you literally hate them. You should love your father and mother and honor them. You should love your brothers and sisters and be there for them. The Bible says, even Jesus even said, by this they'll know you're my disciples if you have love one for another. But when it comes again to comparing it to your love for God, there's no rival thrones and there's no comparison. You see, and just as a quick side note, this is pretty much a slam dunk as far as the deity of Christ. Because right here he's saying, man, I want your love. I want your loyalty. Jesus is saying, I want your allegiance. If that was anyone other than God, we'd be in big trouble. Right here the Lord is saying, these are the terms of discipleship. You remember earlier we read about those people who always repeat to God in a superficial way? But when the time came, the truth was revealed, huh? Things like wealth and work and the wife came before God's invitation to salvation. And so what Jesus is basically saying here is that salvation will cost us nothing less than everything. And he's he's asking this question. He's asking this of us, you know, are you willing to pay that price? Are you willing to? And he goes on and he gives a couple of illustrations. He says, which of you here, you're building a building. And, you know, you get the architectural drawings and you get the estimates and, you know, you don't sit down first and consider the cost. Well, this building right here is going to cost me a million dollars to build. I only got five dollars. Ain't going to happen, right? You know, which of you here would do that? The Lord says, no. I mean, that's what he gives the illustration here. It's one's understanding of salvation. And you've got to make sure that it's real. We don't just go to church and go with the flow. We need to first consider the cost and realize that Jesus is calling us to a complete commitment. 
then we will finish the race. Because if you don't have a complete commitment, I'm telling you this right now, halfway through, you're not going to make it, right? You're going to get tired. You're going to be like, man, this costs too much. Do you guys remember when you used to go to school and you used to take physical education? Do any of you guys remember that? And the coach would say, okay, do a lap. And you're like, ah, do another one, do another one. Finally, you're like, you know what? I can't do this anymore. What if he told you ahead of time, this is what I want you to do. I want you to do, you know, 20 laps. You, need, you, go, you know going into it exactly how many laps it's going to take. And the Lord says, this is what I'm telling you. Going into it, going into it. That no relation, no ambition, no possession should ever come before me. It will cost you everything. And so you go into it realizing that I must die to myself. And that's what the Lord is sharing here, you guys. We have to be willing to pay that price. We must forsake all that we have. The Greek word for forsake, it means to bid farewell. It means to withdraw. It means to separate from, to leave, to renounce. If there's any relation, ambition, or possession, if there's anyone or anything we put before the Lord, especially ourselves, the Lord says, then you're not going to be a true disciple. You know, and as I shared with you guys in the beginning, for some of you here, maybe it's terms of salvation. This will be the day you get saved. You know, because the Lord's calling you. He loves you so much. He wants to set you free and forgive you, man, and, and just put you on a rock, pull you out of the pit. God is so good. But I think for most of us here, we're already saved. We're already Christians. And we need to kind of go back to the basics of how this all works. Because this is our life. This is our sanctification. And this is how we will grow as Christians. When we understand the priority of the Lord. You know, um, going to church is cool. I love coming to church because I get to see you guys. You guys are really cool. You're very nice. We get to have bake sales and cookies. And it's amazing, man. The coffee and the music is beautiful. I love it. You know, and I love um, doing stuff like that, you know. But there's nothing that compares to my personal relationship with God. You know, when I was spending time with the Lord this morning in my garage, and I was there, and there was no other noises, and it was just me and my Lord, and I was talking to Him. And He was talking to me, and I just said, Lord, you know, I love all the things that I get to do for You, but Lord, there is nothing like being with You. And Lord, this is the highlight of my day. When I get to be with You, and then, you know, of course, he never leaves us. And, and, you know, he's with us throughout the whole day. But I think we forget, huh? And, and, and we just go on and we live our own life and we forget about the Lord. And like I was sharing with you, I love my wife. I'm so close to my wife. But I want to be closer to my God. And I want to make sure that he has the priority in my life, you know? I mean, and this spills over into our sanctification. This spills over into our calling and commitment to the Lord. I know a young lady, she's a missionary in Cambodia today because of this principle. When the Lord spoke to her and said, you know, unless you hate your father and mother, and, and the Lord spoke to her. And, and, and she loves her father and mother. She loves them. But her love for God 
is greater. And we have to really examine our life. Lord, is this me? Are you really the priority of my life? Personal relationship, calling and commitment, above wealth, above work, above wife, above relations, above occupations, above possessions. If you say go, will I go? If you say stay, will I stay? If you say jump, will I react immediately and say how high? Is that the type of relationship that we have? Or am I just kind of going with the flow and the crowds are there? You know, Lord, and we really have to examine our life. You see, we need to make sure that we understand that the Lord here is calling us to that place. You know, sometimes churches get really big and God does a great work there. And of course, that's totally up to the Lord. But sometimes, and we have this one church over there in Texas, 40,000 people go there every Sunday. But homeboy's not teaching the Bible, right? He's not preaching about sin and the gospel. Sometimes churches get real big. Why? Because they lower the standards of salvation and discipleship. They teach things that are not true. Uh, They say, hold on to Jesus, even if you hold on to your sin. (laughs) Don't worry, you'll be fine. God's loving. He would never sentence someone who's sincere. Just be proud you're in the crowd, right? And that's a lie. You know, some think, well, that's a very loving thing to say, but the truth is it's not. You know, I can almost visualize Jesus looking down and looking back on all of us who are here even today, looking in to all of us who are here today and reminding us and just challenging us with his conditions of discipleship. Again, not that we neglect our friends or family. Man, be good friends. Be good family members. But man, make sure that you embrace the Lord and He's the priority of your life. Not that we're sadistic, you know, thinking that we have to hate ourselves and hate our lives in a negative sense, but we examine our lives and we ask the Lord, do I love you more than I love myself? Warren Wiersbe said, there's certainly nothing wrong with owning a farm, examining purchases, or spending an evening with your wife. But if these good things keep you from enjoying the best things, then they become bad things. Is there anything that gets in the way of my relationship with the Lord? Revelation 12:11. I like what it says. It says, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony And they did not love their lives till the death. Let me ask you a question, okay? Um, If you, let's just say you're married here and you put the Lord, you know, you love your wife, but you put the Lord before your wife, do you think your wife will be blessed by that? She will, huh? If you put your wife before the Lord, do you think she'll be blessed? by that no she won't be blessed by that she might be spoiled by that (laughs) but she's not going to be blessed by that because you can never outgive god you're like lord i love my wife so much i love her so much and god says okay put me first right how about your life if you surrender your life to the lord you say okay lord you take over you call the shots what do you think god's going to do to your life oh he's going to bless you man He's going to just totally blow your mind. 
with things that are so supernatural, so supernatural, when you give him your life. Because if you're holding on to your life, then you want to know what you're getting out of your life, you're getting out of what your life, what you can put into it, what you can do. And yeah, you can do some cool things, but not like God. And when you let go of your life and you give it to the Lord, and then you let Him take over, it's an amazing thing what ends up happening. You're going to experience what Stephen Chris Chapman called the great adventure. I love it. You guys remember that song? 20 years ago? Anybody here? <laughs> That's a beautiful song. The great adventure of following Jesus Christ in life. You see, it's called an exchange life. God doesn't want to just change your life. He wants you to exchange your life. And that's what we see here. And if not, well, what ends up happening? Well, we read right here. It's kind of a sad thing. In verse 34, salt is good. But if the salt has lost its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land nor the dunghill. You guys know what that is, right? But men throw it out. He who has ears to hear. Jesus says, let him hear. The Lord spoke a few times about salt. Matthew 5.13, he said, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It's then good for nothing, but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Mark 9.50, salt is good, but if the salt loses flavor, how you will season it? Have salt in yourself, have peace with others. See, it's repeated, so we won't be defeated. It's telling us who we are. And what ends up happening is when we really live our life in love with the Lord, man. When we really live our life, not just your random, you know, typical Christian, but I'm talking about somebody who's sold out, completely committed, we become then the salt of the earth. And you guys know what salt is good for, right? Salt's good for a lot of things. Uh, they put a lot of salt on your popcorn. Why? Because it tastes good? Well, more than that, right? They put a lot of salt on your popcorn so it makes you thirsty. And it makes you want to buy one of those $6 Coca-Colas, right? <laughs> and if you're salty Christians, people are going to look at your life and they're going to say, what is it that you have? I mean, it will just, I want what you have. And you're going to say, you're going to tell them, what do I have? I've got Jesus, man. And you become, you just make them thirst after God, right? Man, you've got peace, you've got love, your marriage, your kids. It's amazing. How do you do all this? It's the Lord. Totally the Lord. And you make them thirst after the Lord. See, that's what salt does. Not only that, we know that in those days they didn't have refrigerators. And so salt was a preservative, right? And so what would happen is that they would put it on their meats and they would then, uh, it would then allow that to last longer. Even that's why today if you get frozen food, you guys, any of you here ever eat frozen food? It has a lot of salt in it, so be careful. A lot of that sodium, right? Because they want to make it last well, that's what salt does. Salt is a preservative. When we as Christians live this type of life, jumping at the invitation for fellowship and food with the Father, when we as Christians live this type of life, responding to the invitation, not just to dinner, but to die, then we will make such a difference in this world. We will preserve this world from all the wickedness and evil that finds, we find you know, going on in the world today. I read an article the other day, actually it was yesterday, about this girl in a high school who was 
I guess, voted or nominated as the homecoming king. I'm like, how's a girl, I guess she's a lesbian, <laughs> end up a homecoming king? Well, it's because we're living in days where they say good is evil and evil is good. Things are deteriorating. But we as Christians, we can make a difference. And I can tell my son and I can tell my daughter that one day when I die, that I'm going to do everything within my power through praying and loving and voting and standing and doing and living, that I will pass on to them a world in which I myself did everything I can to keep it as a world with the standards of righteousness. And so God wants us to have that type of life. I pray, you guys, that we would be stirred up, that God would minister to us. Because I know here there's a lot of different situations. There's a lot of different marriages that are struggling. There's a lot of different decisions that need to be made financially. You know, there's a lot of people here today because you live in America. And not only do you live in America, but you live in Southern California. Okay, that's crazy. You go back east in some places, man, it's a lot different. Go to Montana. It's a lot different, right? And you want to know thing I, I, one, something I know about you Southern Californians? Number one, you like In-N-Out, okay? <laughs> and number two, you're busy, right? Unless you are very disciplined here, unless you are radical here, you are so busy. And all I'm saying is this, really check your schedule, man. Really check your schedule. Take out the things that are not of the Lord, right? Give yourself time to pray and to read and to do the things that God wants you to do. Oh, sorry, I got to go check out this land. I got to check out these oxen. I got to spend time with him and her and them and all these things. And God says, uh, what about me? Don't forget the Lord, you guys. He loves you so much. And he wants to do a new work. And I know this is just another Sunday. But it's not just another Sunday. It's not. It's a time in which we need to make decisions. Jesus says, He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Father, we thank you so much for your love and your grace in our life. Thank you for your word, Lord. And just these beautiful people for being such a beautiful God. And Lord, I just pray that you would continue to stir us up, Lord, to love you with all our heart and soul and mind and strength and to love everybody as we love ourselves, Lord. And I just want to thank you, Father, for this text today in which you invite us to dinner and in which you invite us to die. So, Lord, be the priority of our life. And I just pray, Lord, if there's anyone here today who doesn't know you, who's not a Christian, that today would be the day of salvation. And just with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here today and you don't know the Lord, and you want to receive the Lord, and you want to make sure that when you die you go to heaven, it's something that takes place in your heart, where you admit you're a sinner, and you repent of your sins and receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Right where you're at, I just want you to pray this prayer and you just mean it from your heart. Say, Dear Lord, I come to you today and I admit I have sinned, but I turn from my sins and I receive you, Jesus, as my Lord and my Savior. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and help me to live life as a Christian from this day forward until I see you face to face 
I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.